So, the two most important days in your life are the day you were born and the day you figure out why. That line comes from the famous Arthur Mark Twain. It's also the opening line of the film production of Roots by Alex Haley, the story of Kunte Kinte, who was born in Gambia in Western Africa, four days up the river, brought to the coast and shipped as a slave to the Americas. The two most important days in your life are the day you were born and the day you figure out why. When we have our wits about us, we can hopefully remember the day we were born, our birthdays. But that second day, the day we find out why, may be less and less about a day and more a process, a lot of days. In fact, it takes a while to figure out why we were born, and we're still working on it, many of us. Why were you born? Why were you born? I hope today, Easter 2022, might help us along in that journey and figuring out why we were born. We're all here, I'm hoping, because we hope the Easter message is true. We want to know something about God and God's promises and power and presence in the world, and we want to know that especially in these uncertain days, we're on a journey, all of us. And this Easter perhaps might help us a little bit on the why, the why of our lives on that journey. We've heard one scripture lesson today. It comes from the uh, prophet Isaiah, grand and encouraging words from Isaiah 65. Frankly, I had forgotten about the depth and the beauty of these words hidden deep in the prophet Isaiah way at the end of that prophecy chapter 65 I had forgotten how important those words are to to each of us I hope you'll make a little note mark it maybe in your Bible and return to it especially when you're feeling discouraged mark those pages and return to them especially when you have despair on your mind and worry in your heart. They're wonderful world words. We live in such a difficult age, a violent time. We have gun violence haunting our city and our, our nation. We have a horrific war in Ukraine. We have economic uncertainties. We have a struggling planet with a dubious future if we don't get serious about climate change. So many things can worry us and burden us. And that's not even to mention the personal concerns or perhaps the, the deep losses that we have felt in recent days. These words from Isaiah remind us that God is at work. These words from Isaiah remind us that God is always at work on us, in us, around us, through us, even in spite of us creating a new heaven and a new earth. Be glad and rejoice, Isaiah sings. Abundance and generosity will emerge, says the Lord. Peace, harmony, light, they will prevail. This is God's doing. This is God's way. We are to stay steeped in this and focused on this. 
this great and godly promise. Here's the message. And if you hear nothing else today, I hope you'll hear this. It's an Easter message. With God, the worst thing is never the last thing. If you hear nothing else today, hold on to that. Let that message seep deep into you. With God, the worst thing that comes our way, the worst thing that comes our world's way, is never the last thing. Because God is always at work. That's what Isaiah is telling us. This is what we see in the pages of Genesis and Exodus and Deuteronomy and the stories of God's people through the ages. It's what we hear in the prophets from Isaiah and Jeremiah and Amos and Hosea and Micah. It's what Jesus teaches us. It's what the early church learned so well with God. The worst thing is never the last thing because God is always at work bringing creation and new creation, bringing order out of chaos, promise out of turmoil, hope out of exile, a way out of no way. This is what God is about. I will create Jerusalem as a joy, Isaiah says, and its people as a delight, Isaiah says. They shall not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, This is the promise, God. We keep affirming this, even in the midst of this weekend's violence at the Dome of the Rock in Jerusalem when people are clashing. We keep affirming this with this horrific war in slaughtering of innocents in Ukraine. We keep affirming this with our own personal hurts and losses. With God, the worst thing is never, ever the last thing. And we get the same message in the Easter story today. You've heard it from Ginger to the children. We're going to read it now from Luke chapter 24. If you want to read along, it's on page 860 in the Pew Bible. We've come to hear this story again, so here it is. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he in Galilee that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified on the third day rise again? And then they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves. And then he went home, amazed at what had happened. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. If you were listening carefully or reading along in the Pew Bible, you notice that this passage starts with a conjunction. But. But. A conjunction, a conjunction is a word that connects clauses or 
sentences. And if you're telling the story of the greatest news ever, the Easter story, it seems unusual, doesn't it, that you would start with a conjunction. But. But. The news of what happened on Easter morning is very much related to what happened on Easter Saturday and Good Friday and Thursday. They're all related. Rachel Held Evans, who wrote a book recently called Wholehearted Faith, writes this about why she is a Christian. I'm a Christian because of Susanna and Joanna and Mary Magdalene and Mary and Martha of Bethany and a whole bunch of other Marys. When Jesus needed people to help pay for all of his travels, he turned to the women for help. I'm a Christian because of women who knew a thing or two about what it means to be vulnerable and to suffer, to work within systems that were bent against their flourishing. I'm a Christian because when things went south, all the men abandoned Jesus after his arrest. It was women who stuck around. It was women who stood witness at the foot of the cross because that's what friends do. They show up. When the ministry had gone bust, when the crowd had dissipated and disappeared, when the empire reared its ugly head and taken the lives of the innocent, the women stood in solidarity. I am a Christian, Held Evans says, because amid those frantic hours of Good Friday, women loved Jesus. And what might those women have done on Holy Saturday as they urged the sun to go down on the Sabbath? What would you guess they were doing? Did they pray? Did they sit in silence? Did they rehash these incomprehensible events in agonizing detail? And she says, I'm a Christian because of women who came to the tomb and asked, who will roll away the stone? Amidst their grief, they were worrying about logistics. I'm a Christian because as soon as the sun rose on Sunday, they showed up at Jesus' tomb with burial spices in hand. I'm a Christian because of women who showed up. The first witnesses to the resurrection were women, and we depict them in this sanctuary in the mosaics that are on this pulpit. Four women reminding us of the four women who showed up on Easter morning. Here's the deal. The women knew what day they were born. And as they kept loving and serving, they were figuring out the why they were born. By showing up, by loving and caring, by doing the only thing they knew how to do, walking through their tears and sadness with a purpose, opening their hearts to what God, whatever God might be doing, and trusting their lives to God's care. And what they found on that Easter morning is not all trumpets and triumph. It's not all fanfare like these banners. It's, it's confusing. It's confounding, the story reminds us. There's no stone to roll away. How could this be? There's no body to even anoint, which was their mission. There were two men in dazzling clothes, Luke tells us, and a question. Why do you look for the living among the dead? 
these wonderful, caring, faithful, loving women had a focus, a goal. Go and anoint the body of their loved one. That was their custom. And it was also their custom that they couldn't do this on Saturday, the Sabbath. So they had to wait until Sunday morning. So they had to wait and wait and wait until dawn on Sunday and then they went. And the men in white in the tomb say, he's not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you when he was in Galilee that the Son of Man must be handed over and crucified and on the third day rise again? The men in the tomb said, remember this? That sounded like a question, but it's not a question. Remember how he told you he was to be crucified on the third day, rise. And the Greek term here for remember, memnisco, means more than just recollecting what had happened. It means something more like to bring past actions to bear on the future with new power and new insight. It's not just recalling, remembering, but remembering in a way that empowers you to keep living. It changes you. It enthuses you for the present and everything going forward. So when Mary, in the beginning of Luke's gospel, sang the Magnificat in Luke 1, she uses this same word. Remember the mercy of God in the past. And when we remember the mercy of God in the past, it strengthens us for living into God's future, which the Magnificat says is going to be way different from the present. When we remember that God never leaves us, we can go forward with confidence, with hope and possibility, no matter what the future holds. The remembering is active. The remembering is life-giving. It carries us powerfully into the future. When the thief on the cross turned to Jesus and said, Jesus, remember me when you go into paradise, same word. In other words, remember me so that you can carry me into paradise. And then look at what happens in this story. Then they remembered, the text says, they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all of this to the eleven and to the rest. It's the remembering that actually changes them renews them, enthuses them, empowers them. The women now have had an epiphany and they also have a commission. Go and live life toward the risen Jesus, loving and serving. They have a new purpose. Live loving and serving alongside, with and for the risen Christ. They had always known the day they were born, these women, and now they knew what their lives were about. Loving and serving the risen Jesus. They remembered what he had said. And so enthused, so empowered, they ran with confidence and faith, with more love, with more commitment toward a future that was more full of God than they could have ever even imagined. 
So what is your life about? When are we going to figure out the why of our lives? Can we remember in such a way that it redefines how we live? Can we remember all of this story in such a way that it enthuses us and empowers us for how we live tomorrow and the next day and forever? As we see in this Easter story, the news of Easter is actually just the beginning. It is the dawn of a new reality. The Easter lilies, the, in all of their beauty around me here, these Easter banners as striking and as wonderful as they are, the music today, the message, all wonderful, all signal, not a completion, not a final victory, but the inauguration of a new reality that God is promising to bring about. Actually, the women, as you heard, so enthused, so empowered with this news, confront the men, the disciples, the disciples who had also heard the same message about Jesus being raised on the third day. Yet the men hear it as an idle tale, it says. Another translation says, as nonsense. The men don't believe it. The first post-Easter sermon was basically heard as nonsense. The prevalence of death, see, is always lingering. The power of the empire is always casting a big shadow that can be very dark. We have lots of fear. We have lots of worry that we have to deal with. But, but the remembering intends to frame our lives, following loving, serving Jesus, demonstrating that God holds the day, not evil and death. Easter is not an immediate solution. Death still haunts us. Burdens still can get the best of us sometimes. Wars continue. Loved ones leave us. There are many challenges, but we have the powerful assurance of God, which changes everything, everything. It's like when the, when the light of dawn first emerges, you know that the sun is going to come up. It's like the smell of wonderful bread seeping out of the oven. You know you're going to eat it at some point. It's like the promise of a baby to be born or a loved one coming home after being away or goodness and hope emerging in your life, you trust it. You look forward to it. You depend on it. This is the assurance of Easter. God raised Jesus from the dead, as Jesus predicted. And this focuses us. This intends to frame how we live, enthuse us with hope and possibility for all our days. Everything is not settled yet. Pain still hurts us, but we know how we'll end. Everything is not perfect, but we know who rules and we know who reigns. Not death, life. Not evil, goodness. Not darkness, light. Not all the bad stuff, God. God reigns in the resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord, and that assures us of everything else. I'm with you, friends, 
it's hard in these days to hear good news because we're so covered up with bad news. So often we sit in doom scroll on our devices. We get these horrific images of violence on our streets or on the streets of Ukraine. We hear so much sad news that when the news is good, can we hear it even? Can we even hear it? But the promise of Easter, the remembering of what God has done, affirms for all of us that all is well and all will be well. That doesn't mean we don't have hard days. That doesn't mean tragedy and sadness never come our way. It doesn't mean evil and evil people are not around and at work. We all have sensed along the way some sense of separation from God, I'm sure. But in God's good time and in God's will, not ours, goodness and love will prevail. God is the victor. Death is not the end. The end is life. The end is God who never leaves us, as the anthem reminds us. The end is life. The end is God who brings new creation and everlasting life. This life and the promises of God's life over death offer us so much beauty, so much hope, so much consummation, so much more than we could ever imagine. Friends, it's true. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. In the assurance of that, in the assurance of God's love and promises, we keep living our lives by faith, with love, with hope, and with more love. That's our calling. That's our duty. May it be so. Hallelujah. Amen. Let us pray. Thank you, God, for your mighty news of resurrection on Easter. Thank you, God, for calling us to trust you and to serve you all our days. Amen.